0: Got no time for no petty germs, pandemic, a pandemic turn, horror still in Amityville, bayonet in Gettysburg, mothman, TNT, factory, red eyes, low beam, Dog man, holler in the street, i typically skeptical of what I see,
1: voodoo, hoodoo in New Orleans, thunderbird, swamp thing, is it real, I was wondering, typical, skeptic show, typical,
0: skeptic show.
1: hey guys welcome back to the typical skeptic podcast Mm -hmm. i have another fascinating guest with me today one of my favorite guests i would say of all time and we're going to be talking about his new book today the ufo hotspot compendium you can see on the front there's an alien and a hot rod which i love about the book like (laughs) it covers so well done and who i have with me is craig campobasso he's a multi award-winning filmmaker and emmy-nominated casting director Craig was 15 when he started in the entertainment business. He received an Emmy nomination for outstanding casting for a series on David E. Kelly's Picket Fences. Craig's casting career spans over three decades. Craig directed, wrote, and produced the short film Stranger at the Pentagon, which has adopted the popular UFO book authored by the late Frank E. Strangest. After production, the film won Best Sci-Fi Film Award at two prominent film festivals. He has been on many popular podcasts and Coast to Coast AM with George Norrie, and I want to give him a big warm welcome back to the show, Craig. Thank you for joining me again. How are you?
0: Thank you, thank you. I love being here. You're you're uh, you're an awesome host. You're one of my favorite. <laughs>
1: thank, thank you. That's awesome. I, so, but t- tell us about this book, the UFO Hotspot Compendium. What did you want to? Where did you want to go with this?
0: Well, I'll I'll start off with the conception of the book, which was um when we when i signed on to do it uh what we did is we had the head of mufon send out to all the mufon state directors to nominate all of their favorite hotspots and so i compiled all those hotspots brought them into the book uh chronologically in the in the one of the the ones that were my favorite big stories and the ones that had the most um, hotspots, like some hotspots when you go to, you are for sure going to see something, right? You just have to be prepared with some of the things that I tell you to do in the book as well. So um, so we uh, I compiled all of uh, the hotspots. I knew of a couple that um, were not in uh, the MUFON jurisdiction, which were just crazy crazy good because I had already been there and investigated them. So I put those in, one of which is the Bradshaw ranch, which we'll talk about uh, later on. And, um, and then after, uh, after I give you the updated story of each place and, and each incident is then I, Give you the what the investigation's outcome w- was, either from private investigators, from MUFON investigators, from Project Blue Book, uh, whatever it ended up being officially, right? And so, and in some cases, even though it was officially this, what some investigators believe, like J. Allen Hynek of the Lonnie Zamora case even though nobody could prove it everybody said they knew it was true right they knew that that he was telling the truth so so there's those and then after that i uh, i give you a whole section on what you can do like let's say if you decide to go visit giant rock and the integratron what you um what you need to do when you're there if you if you want to go if you wanna to go to the Integratron, you, you definitely have to make a reservation. So you have to go on their website. If you want to learn from a historian about Giant Rock, who will take you out there even in the evening so you can sit in chairs and skywatch, and she'll give you a wonderful history of Giant Rock. Um, I give you tour guides of such that are in these certain places that will take you out and especially a person in Sedona that will take you out um at night with uh each each person having their own pair of night vision binoculars because you will always see something with night vision binoculars yeah, so
1: what that is do you think it's because they're out of our um are visible light spectrum or something like that?
0: They are. Sometimes we can see them with the naked eye, but uh, but when you have night vision, you get a clear picture like way, way, way out, way, way above where airplanes are, and you see them just trekking across the sky like so fast that you can't believe they go Wah, like that, right? Um, and sometimes there's one, sometimes there's two, sometimes there's three, and sometimes there's a giant cluster of them as well that go zipping on by, and it's really amazing. And in some of these hotspots, um, they you can interact with them, and I'll tell you about that as can well I, later.
1: Can I ask you this, Craig? When you've had a sighting, have you always felt like did you did you just have a knowing that it was extraterrestrial? Like you were like this is not something that the government has reverse engineered. This is definitely not from this world. Like, was, would you say that?
0: Well, if you're, if you're sensitive or if you're psychic, you definitely will get that vibe and you'll also get the vibe if, if they're benevolent or malevolent, right? Most wow. of the time when I've seen them, I, I always, uh, believe that it's benevolent because I'm in a place where benevolent ones are. If you're near, if you're smart enough and been in the UFO community long enough, you know where all the alien military bases are. And things that you will see in those areas tend to be malevolent or neutral. Right? So you you kind of uh, have to
1: Know the, know the UFO use, scene, right? You you your
0: use your own thing. Now, if you go to East Setti Ranch, which is in Washington State, right? It's a big ranch. It's a spiritual ranch. Um, you can sign up on their website to go do sky watching. And their sky watch area goes like for miles. Uh, you sit and you can bring your own chair, sit in them. Look all the way down and mile about maybe two, three miles away, is Mount Adams. and it is th- this beautiful, majestic mountain, and it there has been UFO activity around Mount Adams and Mount Rainier, all the dating all the way back to when Kenneth Arnold spotted nine discs flying um, in a V formation and when he reported it to the um, uh, to the press and to the authorities, that's where they labeled um, disc-shaped craft as flying saucers. Uh, way back, way back when, I can't remember it was 50, I think it was fifties or sixties or early sixties. Um, I have the date uh, in the book with the Kenneth Arnold stuff because I find. It's really important to know the area and the activity that's around that area. So we know that there's been stuff there, but Iseti Ranch, if you go there to skywatch, you're pretty much going to see a craft or several craft all at once because um, uh, they say below Mount Adams is a benevolent extraterrestrial race. And they're seeing ships going in and out of the mountain all the time, right? And at night, when you're sitting in your chair and you're sky watching with the rest of everyone, or you can stand up, most people get so excited when one comes, uh, the ranch has one pair of night vision binoculars and they have a laser pointer, so they will connect to it telepathically and then talk out loud. So everyone else can hear what they're saying and they'll point to where the ship is. And then people can take turns using the night vision. I always say, if you have your own, or if you want to rent a pair, I would really rent a pair before you go to one of the, either Sedona or East Seti ranch, because you want to have it with you the whole time to uh really take in the whole experience because there's going to be so much stuff
1: do you think that it's like a guarantee that you're going to see something if you go to east study I, I will because i've watched videos that james Gilliland posted and it's um it's truly amazing it's just like you said like, it is they're they're they, i've heard the people that are watching the ufos they'll say oh they're powering up they're powering up they they're
0: powering up that's right they look like, that's like, right.
1: they look like little round um like light, they look, but they, yeah. they're, up, they're obviously way bigger up and close, but they just look amazing. Right. And then I've seen them come out of the mountain too. And I've always wanted to go there. I, I just like have this, like knowing that I'm going to end up there someday because it's it's like my mission. You know, I have to see it's a UFO.
0: Beautiful, It's beautiful there. And if you go, just know, if you make sure you go on their website and really explore everything. If you want to stay on the ranch, you can, you can rent. A room in a house. You can you can rent a yurt. You can rent all different kinds of things. You can camp. You can do that if you're like me and prefer uh, amenities like a toilet, <laughs> right? Because yeah. uh, even in the houses, you have to go to the public bathroom, uh, which they have. So you have to go outside, and it's cold. Um, I give you some places to stay that are really nearby, cheap and cheerful and, uh, and that where I always stay. That's awesome. uh, When I go, so you get, you're going to get the whole gamut, right? When, uh, when you're looking through the book and then it gives you um, all of those, tells you what you could do at the ranch, little things like that. But I would say definitely explore the website. You can watch on the website a lot of people's testimonies about seeing uh, UFOs when they're there. I went with uh, two really good friends of mine. Of course, we did uh, the just the one night that we were there. Of course, we saw the craft way up. And, you know, they were saying, move to the left, move to the right, go up and down. You see it doing all of that. And then when they say power up is when everyone screams... Uh, real happy happy screams because you just see it brighten up like a bright star and if you have the night vision it's even more spectacular
1: that's amazing a couple things I wanted to ask you was um, well one thing that I thought was really important about this book was that you provide sources like because you you talk a lot about a lot of hot spots but then you mentioned a lot of cases like you do Travis Walton Calvin Parker um, uh, I'm trying to think of the one that we were talking about uh, but, I mean, I know you do a lot a lot of cases. Um, but, uh, you do it, Adamski, George Van Tassel, um, Lonnie Zamora. But, uh, but, but, but what I was saying is um, th- to provide sources, because that, that almost is almost like evidence, right? To, to me, it is.
0: It is. It is in that sense. And it gives you, okay, if I want to learn more about this, right? you know then that you can go and buy Ben Moss's book on Socorro with Lonnie Zamora. And Ben and Tony um, Angiola were both MUFON investigators, right? And they extensively did the Lonnie Zamora case. And so they have a new book out, which has been out for, I guess, about a year and a half, two years on Amazon. So I tell you the name of the book, and uh, they went directly with a lot of people who uh, who were involved in that case way back when. And so I go through the stories and everybody that I interview, everybody that I u- was able to use the, their source material, especially uh, with MUFON investigators and things. I always gave them the chapter when it was done to make sure that it was, everything was accurate. Right. And then I just love that uh, to put it, I put it at the end of each chapter sources. So you would know where that source information came from. And if you wanted to go and learn further about that case, you can go and get that book. Right. Yeah. Yeah.
1: Now did you have you as far as the hotspots go would you say like throughout your travels in in the UFO in your time in the UFO community that you've been to a lot of these places
0: Yes absolutely and um some of them uh like the Stardust Ranch I did not want to go to <laughs> because there was just talk of uh of such evil that went on there but I had two of my associates go it's not open to the public and um i'm not sure where it is now because john edmonds who owned it passed away earlier this year did he? i didn't so, know that yeah he did so That's i don't me. know i don't know if his wife was still alive if she ended up selling it or or you know, what happened. Yeah. When
1: Carrie Cassidy got a gray on camera from that. She was, she was interviewing uh, Ron, John Edmonds. Like she interviewed him a, like a, a bunch of
0: times. And yeah, this,
1: But the one time that they, they took a still of it, there's, did you see this gray come out?
0: Oh, it, it, I it did. I have seen that. Yeah. yeah I have seen amazing, that. Right? I did see that. And, and it's interesting because in some other people's cases, the grays look like that on camera like it doesn't look like it's a normal person it almost looks i would say like a flat image
1: yeah right
0: it, it's a little off than what if we were if we're photographed but when they're photographed it's a little different and maybe it's because of the interdimensional thing i'm not sure yeah but um that's you know one one uh, thing that we thought it could be but I found that case fascinating because that portal where the Greys came through had opened every 42 days. So he knew every 42nd day that they were going to show up.
1: Oh my God. That's amazing. That's so amazing. It's so weird to think that it's actually, it's actually very real. I mean, I know it's real and I have an open mind to the whole situation, but like, just knowing that, that, I mean, like, th- that was probably a real alien that we saw on camera, right? I mean, and that's it, it know. could
0: be. We, I mean, we really don't know because it wasn't our experience. It's really left up to us, the audience, to make that assumption if it is and if, if we resonate with the case. I mean, there was a lot of talk that, um, you know, that his ranch really is just a bunch of dirt, right? And not that big, not as giant as Skinwalker or anything like that. But um there was a lot of talk that he was creating this so that a Bigelow kind of person would buy his ranch for five or six million dollars when it was really worth like I think four hundred to five hundred thousand. Nobody ever bought it. Um, and I don't know what happened to it afterwards. Uh, now, it's in, now he says, John Edmonds says that he killed 19 aliens during the time that he was there. But there is no body evidence. But evidently, there was some kind of blood left on a knife because I believe he said that they just vanished. Right. They just vanished. So I drove by the ranch and looked at it. Uh, I sent two of my colleagues there because he has a horse rescue. So they made a large donation and he invited them to come in and talk with him about his experiences. And um, they said when they were sitting in the living room that uh, they just felt evil pervading. They felt darkness. And they said the wall where the um, uh, fireplace was it was like it was alive with evil entities oh my right God. yeah they said it was like they said when we were in there all we wanted to do was leave we just wanted to leave but we couldn't because we had gone all that way and we wanted to hear you know what he had to say and all of that so uh so there is also a book that somebody wrote i think that gives you you know, thumbnail reviews and things like that of things that happened over the years on that ranch. But, um, but my favorite ranch is the Bradshaw Ranch. Yeah. Yeah. Is that a great chapter?
1: It is. It's amazing.
0: Yeah. It's a great chapter. So it's um, uh, I'll, I'll try and condense it for everybody. It's a, uh, Bob Bradshaw was a cowboy. He bought 140 acres in the Verde Valley, which is just outside of Sedona. And what he did is he built, he built a ranch house and right next to where he built the ranch house is a homestead house. It's said to be the oldest living structure in Sedona, right? So anyway he uh he was a cowboy. They made movies on his ranch. Elvis Presley made a movie there um uh other people he was always in the movies in some way, shape or form as a cowboy and uh so he started putting on rodeo shows and covered wagon shows and things like that on the ranch and they had cookouts and everything now. One of my longtime friends who's still alive has told me about this ranch for a very long time and that she used to work at this ranch in its heyday. And on the first night that they were having one of these shows, a flying saucer flew right over the show low and went like this. Wow. Like it was amazing some of the i'll give you guys just a couple of things and then we'll move on to a few of the other hot spots but um there was also a bigfoot on that property because they had bigfoot prints so linda bob's uh wife uh decided out by the horse corrals which is i would say maybe a five six seven minute walk from the ranch house right and put Uh, would put a plate of fruits and vegetables. And uh, after the first night, it was all gone and eaten. And then um, stones and sticks were placed on the plate, which is what we call Bigfoot gifting. They gift back to you, right? And um, and then over time, um, she would always find the footprints there, the Bigfoot footprints. But over time that this uh, Sasquatch laid on her side to show her that she was pregnant.
1: Oh, my God.
0: And then after a while, she started saying, of course, the Bigfoot footprints and then the little Bigfoot footprints (laughs) right next to it. Now, when they were there, they didn't have cell phones back then. But if you, they had the VHS video cameras and they had regular cameras, so... If you, sometimes when they would look through the lens, they would see into another dimension. And so one time, yeah. So one time they got a dinosaur. Another time they got the actual Bigfoot and she, um, she was an albino Bigfoot and there was a flying saucer above her right
1: that makes me think bigfoot has something to do with aliens or ufos well
0: it i here's the thing what's interesting i i watched that bigfoot program um on i don't know if it's travel or history channel and a lot of times at night when they're in the forest they can spot a bigfoot now even when they sort of lean around from a tree because they've they've got the heat sensor, so they can actually see it when it's looking, even though it's far in. But what they find in the forest is these flashes of light, and they don't know what this light is and I started thinking about all these cases that I've read about, and I'm wondering because they've always said that Bigfoot was interdimensional. And I'm wondering if these flashes of light are actually sort of like a portal that they're going back and forth in that they create with their own mind, right? Wow. I so, know yeah, I never thought of that either. It just hit me a couple of weeks ago. And so, um, so that ranch had lots of activity. It had grays. It had a, 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 a disc-shaped shape craft landing in middaylight in front of the ranch. Um, there was uh, another night, the dogs were barking and they went outside and they were surrounding something and looking up and barking at nothing. And then they heard this hissing and it was really frightening. So they got the dogs in the house because they didn't know where it was coming from. And the next morning when they went out, they saw reptilian footprints where it happened wow. right, so so anyway, um, you know it's just all this fascinating there like that chapter, people will really, really, really love um and we've got pictures uh of the ranch and uh uh stuff that goes along with that, you know, with that story they they have a windmill on the property and a lot of people who have gone near that windmill have missing time up to two hours. Wow! What, yeah,
1: what, what what is the uh, is is the Galactic Park related to that? Like, is that a that is
0: that's what they called it? They called it the um, uh, the Sun named the property Galactic Park, I believe.
1: That's so cool.
0: Yeah, because there was just so much stuff that was going on all the time. I mean, they had a portal tree between the ranch and the homestead house. And uh, Linda said that um, she believed that negative and positive extraterrestrials were coming through that. And when she would feel the negative ones come through, that bad things would happen on the ranch. And then that would be followed by the good ones who seem to come in and kind of sweep them out, right? Yeah. yeah. So, yeah, exactly.
1: But one thing I wanted to ask you about was you cover the the uh, the George Van Tassel case, which I find really fascinating. And mm-hmm. I, I came up with this idea and I'd love to pick your brain on it. Like they tell you, talk about Solgonda, who is like this Venusian uh, tip, you know, who was contacting George Van Tassel. I was going to say, do you ever think that Van Tassel's, or did anybody ever write about Van Tassel's contacts, you know, this Salgonda ever contacting Val Thor? Because Val Thor was a Venusian too. Is there, is there any kind of overlay there?
0: Well, it's interesting because they were both coming with some of the same information, right? Yeah. Uh, and, and that information was uh, Salgonda gave uh, Van Tassel the blueprints to build the integratron which is a regeneration machine to keep the cells young which is how they stayed looking young and gave them longevity in their life and when about a part of valiant thor's uh mission when he came was to impart this information of rejuvenation how to eliminate sickness poverty how to prolong life and all of that as well and i think that that was probably on a larger scale right now um, it was said that um salganda was a venusian um but we don't really know if valiant is a venusian or not because What we do know from Dr. Frank is that he did come from somewhere else, and Venus, the interior of Venus, was a stopover to Earth, and that he was here in our galaxy for many, many, many years before he had his mission that started on March 16, 1957. So he would be in Venus, he would come to Earth, he would go back and forth and back and forth. So I think a lot of people assumed that he was. Now you have to realize that these created beings that are like Valiant Thor is that they're they're what we would put in the angelic realm, right? And they're given sections of the universe to oversee. And they're sort of like these incredible universal emissaries, ambassadors that help to solve problems in those sectors, right? Now, Salganda is a fully conscious being who at some point will eventually die. But Valiant Thor is a mortal being where he will never die.
1: That's, that's so interesting.
0: That, yeah, it is. And by the way, I always wanted to know what Salgonda looked like. And I went through every George Van Tassel interview. He never said what he looked like in one interview. He would uh, Somebody would ask him in one interview, he'd say he had short blonde hair. Another interview, he'd say he was 5'6". Another interview, he would give another... Uh, portion of what he looked like. So I took all of that and I had an artist create a representation of what Salganda may have looked like from all of George's um, descriptions, right? Because I thought it would be really great for the audience to get an idea of what he looked like.
1: Yeah. Yeah. There's no, there's no images of him,
0: right? You said there. No, there's no images of him, but here's another interesting thing. Every, the other three men on his crew were also five, six. And I also many years ago met a man who called me and told me um, that when he was a young man around 17 years old, he was contemplating, uh, and this was in Florida, by the way, contemplating what the universe was how was it set up are there other beings out there all different things of that nature and he said all of a sudden he started seeing glints in the sky and days and days would pass and these glints would become the shape of a ship and he started seeing these things and then Another day a man approached him and said, I uh I have been listening to your thoughts, and I'm here to answer all your questions. Now he was <laughs> able to meet with this being for um I can't remember how many how many times, but it was definitely way more than 20, could be more than 30 over the course of like 7 months and at a certain point he said to him he said i am a created being and he explained to him what that was and uh he said i have chosen this appearance for you because it's the one that you would most accept and what that was was he was 5 6 which I thought is interesting, this this 5'6", you know, it's an, a non-intimidating stature, right? And he had uh, short hair and looked kind of like the uh, Venusians from the George Van Tassel story, except he said that his eyes were a little more Asian-shaped, right? So um so but he learned a lot he decided never to share his story publicly because it was just for him and uh you know he's up there in age now and uh he you know he just lives a really good cool spiritual life and uh, i mean what a great experience to have
1: yeah i was gonna say like how did he they did they build this um integratron i didn't realize that it was a regeneration um yeah uh, like does it really would you say it really works and stuff like and well
0: the the thing was is it would also be a time uh, machine as well and when you look at the pictures of it there's the bottom story and the top story which is a dome and then there's these things that protrude out right and when it would get going, it would start turning those things lift up and would start spinning. Uh, back in the day, the whole roof of the first floor was copper wire, like a giant uh, web, right? And so that, wire would be a, uh, that copper wire would be a conduit and they could get 10,000 people through the Integratron per day. And that that would help to rejuvenate everyone's cells to help them to stay looking younger, right? And healthy. Um, But when it got to be about 95% done, um, Salgonda instructed him not to turn it on. He said that the earth people weren't ready for it yet. So the thing is, is it was never turned on and when he passed away, there's rumors that the government came in and took all his papers. Nobody really knows what happened to all of that. But somebody else bought it. And then and then the three sisters that own it now, they got it. And what they did is they totally rejuvenated it. It needed so much love and care uh, being out there all these years. And they made the grounds beautiful. So what they do is they now give uh, tours, sound baths on the second floor, which are with singing bowls because the top floor is a sound chamber, which the resonation in there is unbelievable. So lots of musicians go and record their albums there. Moby, they've even had concerts there. Moby has gone and done a concert at the Integratron. Really? So yeah, there's... And so many, uh, stars, uh, come and they'll just go by themselves and, you know, get a tour and, uh, a sound bath and things like that. Um, it's, you never know what you're gonna, who you're gonna see when you're there. I mean, I was there once getting a sound bath and, um, Gregorian chanters from Italy uh, they said they would like to come in and sing some songs for you or chant some songs for you guys and so they did and it's like all the sounds are going all over the place like this, it's like this incredible harmony yeah. harmony of sounds being loud and 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 not so loud and in between and they had come all the way from Italy to record their album inside the sound chamber Wow yeah so, oh it's so great it's so great so then, i do the
1: people know the ufo lore behind it like the people that are doing these that are recording there is it do they know that?
0: oh absolutely absolutely yeah yeah the there's a whole thing on george van tassel's even some stuff on valiant thor and things like that on the first floor and um so if people want to go there i really suggest you go on their website you, you have to make a reservation for a sound bath to get on the property. And sound baths usually are booked up a few months in advance. So make sure you go early before you, you make your trip. If you do want to go out to Giant Rock, you can drive out there. It's a little hard to find, but it's only three to five minutes away from uh, the Integratron. But it's all sort of hilly uh, dirt to get out there. Or you can um, hire the historian whose name is Barbara Harris. I put her information in the book and she takes people out on tours. And, uh, you know, it's great to sit out there and sky watch at giant rock where all of this stuff happened. You know, a lot of that out there is a lot of crystal. And um, uh, right next to where giant rock is, there's called crystal Hill, where this hill was literally made out of quartz crystal there's so much quartz there in that area wow
1: that's that's quartz is supposed to be really healing right
0: it's really healing but it's like in Sedona quartz is embedded everywhere in Sedona so when quartz and rock are are embedded together it creates electrical impulses which creates a vortex so the more quartz like in bell rock and sedona the more quartz rock that's there the the more powerful the vortex so that's why bell rock is one of the most powerful psychic vortexes around
1: it's so interesting
0: yeah i never
1: never knew that like I was, because I was just going to ask you, like, why some places get more sightings than others? Like, you know, like yeah. I, it, and that, that, ex- that perfectly explains it, right? If there would be a lot of quartz crystal embedded into a place, that that could definitely spark, uh, like what you said, and and cause a portal or a vortex to open, right?
0: Uh, yeah, exactly. It could cause uh, portals. It could cause paranormal activity. I put a picture in the book when I was on Bell Rock. Um, of a gigantic milk white orb like Linda the good witch sized right and uh and then there and i had at least four other pictures where it was and one where the orb is actually bumped up all against my skin my whole body you see it forming to my whole body um so i put one of those in the book and another time when i was staying in uptown and i was driving to bell rock to go meditate is um traveling from bell rock towards me was a metallic orb that was nothing from this earth going well like this. And I grabbed my cell phone and I was able to capture a picture of it. So I put that in the book as well. You just never know what you're going to see when you're there. Wow. Yeah.
1: See, I'm in a place where it's not very active. Like I live in Pennsylvania in Pittsburgh to be exact and like I looked up at the skies all the time and I never see anything like I don't know if I have to get night vision goggles though I was thinking maybe maybe I would have a better chance what do you think You
0: you would you would definitely have a better chance and uh, if you put your intention out and you do a little meditation and put it out there that you would like to interact with a benevolent uh race of beings if they're in the area with a craft, if they would come and show themselves, uh, you know, that you're going to go outside and look for them, you you might see them. A lot of times it really is putting that intention out because they do pick up on the thoughts and that they can come in an instant because, you know, they most of those ships are thought ships. They go boop, boop, and they're there. Wow. That's it. Yeah.
1: Um one one thing I wanted to ask you about was the Adamski case like because I've heard people give this this case some heat sometimes like
0: right
1: Um it's like the Billy Meyer case like which I was going to ask you about that too but that's not North America so I know this no. book deals mostly with North America but I've never heard you talk about Billy Meyer or Georgia Adamski that all the times I've got to talk to you so I just wanted to get your idea your your your, your, your I know you write about Adamski in the book but like mm-hmm. your, your thoughts on Billy Meyer too like it, because I just have to know because I respect you so much for your time and ufology. Like, I I just love to know what you think about that case because both cases get some heat sometimes. You know.
0: Well, all all cases get heat. Even Travis Walton case gets heat, and yeah. even though there's all the evidence, that's why I I worked very closely with Jennifer Stein, who's a, uh, a MUFON director as well, and she's the one who. Is closest to Travis, who did the documentary on Travis that won all those awards. So, so there's all of this new evidence and everything, so that people now have a one-stop shop. They can read everything from beginning to end, and they can go ahead and make up their own mind, right? Yes. Georgia Damsky, as well, was capturing. The same ships that Howard Menger was capturing at the same time in New Jersey. Now, Howard Menger was another um, major contactee of different human races from throughout our galaxy. And it was at his farmhouse in Highbridge, New Jersey, where the famous picture of Valiant Thor and his vice commander, Don and another vice commander, Zan's wife, Jill, were at. She's the blonde lady. So um, anyway, uh, but th- he had that evidence as well. And then he, it it started slowly where he was seeing the crafts and seeing the crafts. And then he felt when he took a group out that he needed to go a little further down the road. Now he didn't drive. So he had somebody drive them, drive him with his telescope and stuff. And then he said, you go back to the group and then come down here later, right? Because he knew he had to be alone. And then he saw it land way in the distance by the mountains. So he started walking out there. And this is where he met Orthon for the first time and had their uh, exchanges. So um, I forget exactly what that the beginning uh, things are, but there are several books that were uh, written that you can still find on the internet that he did with Desmond Leslie. And uh, I think one's called Inside the Spaceships and uh, there's another one as well. You could go to the Adamski Foundation. You can read all about it there. There's a really cool place where he used to live, which is now called, I think, the Oak Knoll. And they're going to be building um, a place there to honor Adamski and build a a very big high-powered telescope because he used to uh, use, uh, he used to, have his telescope there. And that's where he saw lots of these things. But he also went up to Mount Palomar as well to see these things. So, um, and there, you know, there's been different things about that case that somebody said that Orthon was really a woman, but he decided to change it to a man because uh, he didn't think the public would at that time think that a woman could be a captain of a ship right but these were rumors and things um, and I don't know I think Orthon's name may have been something else and he changed it um, was another rumor but, you know, if they do these things, it usually has some kind of merit or reason behind it. So, but I always believe that Adamski's case was real. Right. I always did.
1: That's so good. That's so cool. I, I, uh, I, 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 I'm just like really interested in that, the, all the cases that like, that have all the evidence, like in, and and like, it, But the, I I love the, I love when people are, are, are like trying to question it too, because then you can, it brings out the realness of the case because then you can get into it and tell people different facts and different, um, you know. Um, what, a couple places I wanted to ask you about was um, Falcon Lake and Shag Harbor. Um, those are two mm-hmm. great spots too, right?
0: Those are two great spots, but um, I'll just backtrack for a second. So if you wanted to go to the place where Georgia Damski met Orthon, I have the coordinates in the book. If you wanted to go to where Lonnie Zamora saw the two little aliens in the craft, I have the coordinates to that location in the book as well. If you want to go where Travis Walton was abducted, I have those coordinates. If you want to see where Valiant Thor's ship is parked at Lake Mead, I have those coordinates as well, as well as other coordinates. So if people want to actually do this bucket list trip, I mean, I've had people already send me videos. I'm doing the bucket list. I'm going to do it. (laughs) I'm going to post everything. Yeah, it's really, you know, it's kind of fun. Yeah, the um, Shag Harbor uh, is a really, really interesting case. Um, It was spotted, uh, I think it was 1955, if I believe. Uh, There was a gentleman who was 18 years old. His name was Lori. He was on the beach with his girlfriend and he saw something. They saw something crash into the ocean about two to 300 feet out. And so he went and called the mounted police and uh, they came out. What they were really worried about is they thought that a plane had crashed in the water and they were worried about survivors. So... The of Police got a boat, and they started rowing out. They got um, some other guys who were rescue guys. They came out in a boat. And as they started getting out there, they were seeing this sort of orangey-yellow glow. And as they started getting out there, these lights just sunk into the depths of the ocean. And when they got to the actual spot, there was no wreckage. There was nothing floating on top of the water except for a strange yellow foam that had a smell of like a sulfury kind of thing. So Chris Stiles was one of the MUFON investigators on that. And I said, you know, Chris, did they did they get a net and, you know, reach down and grab some of that stuff so it could be tested? He said, no, because it went right through the net. They couldn't get a sample of it. Um, but when he picked up the case uh in ninety-five, they started doing a lot more research on it. And um and what they found is that that craft had gone um had traveled underwater and it ended up near Shelbourne. And the Navy knew it was there, and they put their ships over where it was parked. And then at about about a week later, they decided they were gonna go down and see what they could figure out what it you know what it is. And then all of a sudden, a second ship came underwater and it seemed to assist it and it stayed there for a week. And then both ships left and went out towards Maine and they both flew up and out of the water to, you know, like I say, holding the secrets of who they were. So there was a lot more to that story. I'm just giving you a little thumbnail review of that. But uh, And then Falcon Lake uh, also is an interesting one because it seems like it was probably one of, america's test vehicles that was a uh a, a flying disc because um stefan who uh i think it's I, I'm, Milshiak i can't i can never pronounce it correctly but he he loved mining um uh gemstones and geological geological like quartz and you know gold veining and things like that so he was out there in the middle of nowhere and um he heard a bunch of geese leave the lake and he turned and he looked and he saw these two ships hanging in the air and one started coming closer to him and then it landed not far away from him and he thought it was so strange um He believed from the get go that it was one of our ships, even though it was saucer shaped. He drew a picture of it, which they allowed me to reproduce in the book. And um, so he sat there and he sketched it. So this sketch that you'll see in the book is a sketch on the day that he was sitting there looking at it. And then the door opened and he approached it. And he heard voices inside and he was like, you know, do you need help? Do you need help? And he never heard anything. And then the ship powered up and it had this sort of like grill on the side with these little circles. And when it blasted the air out, it hit him in the chest and it actually made those same marks on his chest. So uh, we have a picture of that in the book. As well, and then it took off, and then he was super sick for quite some time. Um, and uh, and those markings would reappear from time to time over the next couple of years. They would disappear and reappear, disappear, reappear, and that kind of thing. So that's another really fascinating story.
1: Oh yeah. Um. One thing I wanted to tell the audience is that in chapters 12 through 18, I thought that was really good because in that you look in a broader sense of like the different, you, you categorize different regions. You go with yeah. the Southwest, the Southeast. The it, Can you talk about that a little bit?
0: Yeah. I mean, there's different sections. So if you're in a certain part of the country and you want to go uh, hit that bucket list, you definitely can, right? Um like um uh I'm trying to think of some of the let me just hit it. Oh well like if you're in the southeast, uh there's the famous goblin case, right? (laughs) Which were these the little goblin looking creatures, which were in Hopkinsville, Kentucky, which was back in August 21st 1955. Um family was visiting family and uh the the uh gentleman who was visiting went out in the backyard to get some water because they didn't have uh plumbing and uh he saw a craft in the sky at dusk and it landed in the far back of the backyard right <clears throat> and um and then around 10:30 that night they started hearing commotion and when they looked out they saw about twelve of these little goblin three and a half feet goblin creatures running around, and uh, so they got their shotguns and they started firing at them and they 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 could never hit one because they were so fast and they were so agile, and uh, they were firing through the windows through the uh screens and then at a certain point, they went out the back door. And one was sort of uh, about five feet out and the other one was right under the uh, overhang to the roof. And one of the goblins was on the roof and it reached down and it grabbed and it pulled his hair. Totally freaked him out. Can you imagine that? Right. I mean, they were so terrified because they didn't know what these little creatures were. And, um, they, they at a certain point, uh, when the coast was clear, they jumped in their car, they ran uh, to the police station, they uh, told them, uh, and they saw how terrified they were, so the sheriff and some of the other people, uh, some of the other officers went out, they checked the whole property, they didn't see anything, but the next door neighbors said, because they were aware of what was happening they said at 3 a.m the goblins came back so but of course they didn't go back to that property i wouldn't have gone back to that property at night either
1: yeah i wouldn't either that's uh yeah.
0: no no that's uh that's a little terrifying uh for me and uh-huh. um
1: one another thing that you talk about I the last two things is you give I mean you've been telling us this the, the, the during the podcast, but you give suggestions for UFO tourists and then you also talk about UFO conventions and festivals, which I thought was great.
0: Yeah, exactly. I thought let's just make this a well rounded book. So you you know where all the conventions and festivals are for the US and Canada. And um If you feel like you're being abducted and you want to uh, join a support group, there's numbers to call for that. Uh, If you want to have regressions, um, you can contact Yvonne Smith or Barbara Lamb. I mean, two of the best. Two of the best that are out there. Uh, If you want to report a UFO, where do you do that? and where can you go to find the latest ufo information photographs and stories places like that so so you get a, a well-rounded uh uh thing of everything that you could do that's ufo related if you're interested
1: i i agree and i i think it's an amazing book i i uh i i love it honestly like it was so i mean because like you said you have the hot spots you have all the cases and yeah. it's uh and it's it's like it's kind of cool because like it gives you the history of like ufology kind of like all the big cases that we all uh, that we know and love like but um it has a lot of detail and like i said you provide sources too so it's just i it's i loved it i, I really did i think it was fascinating like and thank mm. you this was amazing um ah,
0: you're welcome
1: um, can you tell everybody where to find the book and where to find, you or you know, uh, your website?
0: Sure. Yeah. Uh, if anybody's interested in Valiant Thor, that's my website, strangeratthepentagon.com. You can get all of Dr. Frank's out-of-print books there, posters like the ones behind me, and um, Valiant Thor t-shirts, all that good stuff. And uh, you can get the extraterrestrial species almanac the book that uh got released last year or the ufo hotspot compendium on my website autobiography of on A-N-E-T.com. and then in the tabs you can click on other books i have another book uh, uh series called the autobiography of an extraterrestrial saga um, and those four books are on the main page. So anybody who buys things off the website, I uh, personalize and autograph it uh, to them as well. So.
1: And I can attest uh, that because the poster behind me is signed by you. <laughs>
0: yeah, that's that. Run, that is one of my favorite posters because it has the blueprints to Victor One on it.
1: Yes, I love. Yeah. It i, I yeah. really cherish that poster i i I really like it a lot like it's it's cool yeah. I love the like you said it has all the rooms and like it's 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 just it's so cool really.
0: yeah, it's really neat. I actually have the giant fold out um white blueprints, right you know where it's like that it looks like the actual blueprints to it, so yeah, really it's really cool. neat. It's really neat, really, really neat. So and we're uh in the midst of making the extraterrestrial species almanac into a documentary. So we that's will have great. that out sometime next year. I'll let you know when that's ready and I'll come back on and we can talk about it and show some clips.
1: Oh, I'd love to, yeah, that'd be great. Yeah, that'd be yeah. awesome. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Well, thanks, Greg. And thank thank you so
0: much. And uh until next time. Yes. Thanks everybody. All right, have a good night.